Spoiler alert! This is a podcast where we break down every episode of The Mandalorian as they release on Disney+. Plus. You have been warned. Hi everyone, welcome back to This is the Waycast. I'm Giovanni Delgadillo, a columnist and podcast host for Boardwalk Times. And I'm Zach Perlstein, the editor-in-chief of the Boardwalk Times. Today we're going to be discussing the Mines of Mandalore, where the Mandalorian and Grogu explore the ruins of Mandalore. This episode, man, there was so much stuff in it that it took me uh, like the time after watching the episode to really digest everything I had just seen. And I got to rewatch it, so there were things that I didn't really pick up on originally or things that I had forgotten that I'm like I swear this was answered or this little detail came through then watching it again it was wow okay although I will say some of the online reaction before it came out from critics who got the first two episodes of screeners was a bit overblown they made it sound like this episode was going to have like a ton of lore in it and it has lore bits and pieces which was the cool part but in general I think this was just solid Uh, some people are saying this should have been the introduction now I'm like nah I think having the first two episodes as like their own segment makes sense and someone else even said this kind of feels like an arc from Andor where it's going to end next episode so you'll have this three episode arc to start with and I agree I think that's what they're going for here not necessarily the same structure just that these first three episodes will function as a specific story as opposed to what we're used to in Mando which is like side quests episodes here and there I agree with you on that with it ending next week or possibly ending a small arc next week with chapter 19 because that episode's directed by Lee Isaac Chung and it's also our first I think it's one of our first Mandalorian episodes ever being co-written by someone someone other than Dave Filoni. It's Noah Clore who is writing the episode next week along with Jon Favreau. So I'm very curious to see how that plays out and then to add more speculation to it being like a three episode arc. Chapter 20 which is episode 4 of season 3 that's directed by Carl Weather but that episode's written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. So you got to assume maybe we're starting some, you know, Favreau, Filoni verse, Mando verse type craziness starting with that chapter 20 episode. So before we get into this episode, like you're saying, there's some stuff coming in the future. A lot of what we've seen in the trailers, we've already seen in these first two episodes, which is crazy because there was so much that wasn't in the episode or in the trailers or in the marketing at all. I didn't expect to see the Pergil that early um, last episode and can I just say that musical moment immediately hit me like there are a lot of musical moments in these first two episodes that are like okay you don't just make an entire motif for the Pergil and they're not going to reappear like it's obvious they have to reappear in maybe not in this series but the point is that we're getting all this important stuff here early on which makes me think that this season is a lot more ambitious which is what they've been saying and I'm starting to believe it Uh, the first episode I thought a lot of people weren't the biggest fans of it which I thought was weird because I thought it was actually really well made and very well paced there's a lot of action and stuff in it whereas this one is a lot more story focused even if there was one part that we'll get to here that was a bit repetitive to me Uh, otherwise though um, we're getting to this point where the Mandalorian is kind of transcending what it was originally which is a very like medieval fantasy like almost video game and they still has that DNA while evolving past that we're getting a lot more lore specifically about 
the Mandalorians themselves and whatnot, which is very exciting. It is. And I honestly think this episode, you, you were totally right about the critics overblowing this episode. They acted like this was going to send us on our path for the rest of the season. And now it's it, I don't get what critics watch sometimes or like what they pick up from these things, because this episode, like I liked it, but I don't think I feel like last week's episode had more of a Mandalorian type boost to it than this episode. This episode reminded me a lot of the spiders episode from season two, you know, like that snow spider episode where it was like very like not horror based, but you know, just Mando was getting stuck in these situations and he just couldn't, he just, things were getting bigger and just, he couldn't find his way out. But I, I just think this season has a lot of potential for a lot of different reasons, but this episode specifically, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like it worked in some areas, but to me, it, it didn't overall in a way like I don't know I might have to rewatch it I just feel like last week was such a adrenaline high for me because it just felt like oh we're back and this one just felt a little bit just like it, it was still like we're back but like also just didn't feel like it moved too much forward and maybe that was my own expectations getting in the way that like you know we finally get to see Mandalore and it's just kind of you know it's deserted it's deserted and like just maybe I thought there was gonna be something more to it and obviously at the end of the episode there is a definite tease of there is something more coming and this could all end up tying together really nicely but you know just when you put it as its own thing it's hard to really take anything away from that yeah no and that's the thing for me what carries the episode and that's what i was saying with my rewatch is the dynamic between Bo and din which is probably yeah. going to be the biggest takeaway from this because so many people had these really kind of including myself i don't want to say unrealistic or ridiculous but like very overblown almost cartoonish expectations of how Bo-Katan was going to play into this season and I think what they're doing with her is way better than anything we could have guessed like I really like what they're doing with her and Din and they're like back and forth about Mandalore so but before we get into the actual plot stuff we should start right from the beginning where yep. we see Boonta Eve which we haven't heard that since Phantom Menace like this is something I picked up on on my rewatch every time we've gone to Tatooine in the Mandoverse, they have referenced Phantom Menace in some way. That's, Last time wow. with Book of Boba Fett, whenever Mando was first arriving, I mean, the pit droids, the N1, the uh, fact that he says wizard at the end of trying out the thing. Today, in this episode, we get the chance cube reference whenever she says, oh, not a chance cube. And I'm like, oh my God, like, or whatever she said. And then we also get Boonta Eve, which Boonta, <laughs> we had no idea it was a holiday. I feel like that's going to be a holiday for fans going forward before that it's always been life day which is the star wars equivalent to christmas but yes this was something i did not expect like at all to be coming back so the trailers like i mentioned earlier they're very misleading they did not they made it look like mando like started the season on tatooine and like accomplished something and the fireworks were for him and i really like that it wasn't mm. i like that tatooine was just a stop and a really quick stop too for r5 of all things which was actually pretty hilarious and I really like what they're doing with him. Although before anything else, I do want to say I am kind of like there was like a jarring tonal shift because I watched the Bad Batch episode today before this and that episode was very grim. And then I watched yeah. this and immediately you're hit by Pelimoto like scamming people and Amy Sadaris sure. being very comedic. So it was kind of weird because the rest of the episode isn't like that at all either. So it's almost like like super self-contained little comedy section and like it feels like this is the part where it's comedic and it's very very distinct so 
yeah. I don't know if you'll agree with me there, but I felt that was kind of weird because it was almost it wasn't too comedic because it wasn't like over the top, but it did it, it was weird. I think Mandalorian has a very distinct style to it, and it's the most Star Wars y show there is. And that is the biggest thing is that obviously Andor was a different type of Star Wars show where the Mandalorian really embraces Star Wars, where um Andor more embraces like that spy thriller espionage drama so it's like different inspirations but i have to agree with you there where it's like they did that like comedy bit at the beginning and also you have pelimoto actually give some exposition of the whole like oh you're doing something with boba fett or, or the huts back and like you know they're like trying to fill you in and another thing i noticed you know right when this episode started was that in your preview like the what you missed weren't all those scenes with the armor weren't those from the book of boba fett and yet they didn't use any footage for the recap of episode one to show why grogu and din were together because you're absolutely correct yeah that, that was so weird and it's weird that like if you're gonna show highlights in this intro from the book of boba fett at least put like previously on the book of boba fett or something just because it's just it's still mind-blowing that in the first episode of season three the in the recap we don't have any mention of luke skywalker we have no mention of din taking off his helmet like that's the big plot point this season like you know, what you know what i'm starting to think uh there was like some ridiculous conspiracy theory and i'm not gonna feed into that one instead i'm gonna sure. give my own theory so when book of boba fett was airing i had this like idea that maybe perhaps robert rodriguez was hired to do it because they didn't want to have a dead space where there was no mandalorian season because of covid because they couldn't film and so they quickly rushed out book of boba fett and then they had like those two episodes were very obviously mandalorian episodes that they had finished that would have been part of season three originally that was a theory well mm, okay. now i'm starting to think they backtracked on the whole luke skywalker thing when they realized just how popular the show was and they were like uh we shouldn't have done that that early i feel like now they're starting to understand they should have saved luke for like a lot later and it's not because of technology it's more of like the ambition of the show because in the actual story if you think about it luke showing up was very ambitious but the actual story wasn't like getting anywhere crazy like the the highest stakes were oh clearly moff gideon works for like the emperor or something and is trying to clone uh grogu or something like that and that's like the highest stakes whereas this season already we're starting to see in this episode that the stakes are being raised tremendously and that uh something is going down now what that is we don't 100 percent know yet but when we get back to the story here whenever din arrives on mandalore and it's like obvious that this planet is going to be retaken at some point um he has this whole spelunking thing which i'm surprised they use the word spelunking and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um by the end of it i started to realize what they're trying to do here because there was a lot of like religious and almost like uh social thematic material because you have din is trying to rebathe in the waters like you know be reborn baptized yes. if yep. you will but then you also have bo katan on the other side and she's like a very city girl like she grew up in the city whereas he's very like rural and he didn't even grow up on Mandalore he grew up on the moon Concordia which he mentions at the beginning for that very explicit reason to show the difference between him and Bo and how their dynamic is well she believes in the modern like progressive side of Mandalore whereas he's stuck in the ways of the watch which is very ironic because Bo-Katan in the Clone Wars was a part of Death Watch which was a terrorist cell that also believed in like the old ways just not as old as the watch so there's like a whole thing of lore there 
but I really like what they're doing in that sense where you have Bo-Katan being like, oh, you don't know what the soup is or oh, this myth stuff that you believe is ridiculous. Whereas Din is very much like hyper-focused, almost like not simpleton, but he's just more like down to earth than she is. She's like, oh, I'm so above everything, sitting in my depression chair, thinking about how I've lost everything and have nowhere to go <laughs> and stuff like that. Definitely. And I did find it funny when Bo-Katan, when we finally see her in this episode when uh, Grogu has to go retrieve her because, you know, Din gets stuck on Mandalore. He gets captured by this like crazy looking creature thing. Uh, I found it really interesting that Bo-Katan mentions the Jedi. Yeah. And some people were expecting her to mention them by name, which I'm like, nah, I think that would be too on the nose, like especially for a lot of people who didn't watch the Clone Wars and stuff. They'd be like, whoa, she met Obi-Wan. Like they wouldn't know what that is. And like some people were mad that she didn't mention Satine, her sister. And I'm like, why is that necessary? Her sister's been dead for like over 30 years. Like she's gone over at this point. And like yeah. that just feels like people mostly like hardcore shippers who are like super in love with the idea of Satine and Obi-Wan, which like no offense to that, because that's like a very popular ship in the fandom. I just feel like this like notion that everything has to be mentioned at all times, which is ironic in a show that has mostly expository dialogue. I, I think that's just unnecessary. And funny enough, we do have a section of this episode with Grogu where there's no dialogue, like you said, where he has to go tell Bo. And that's how we know that everything that Mando's telling him, he's actually listening to and learning from. He actually yes. understands what he's saying. I really enjoyed that bit from the episode. And I did too. I thought that was some good development there for Grogu too. And also shows that his uh, training with Luke didn't go to waste because I do think, as we said, that was kind of rushed and that could have been a longer arc obviously just because that's a significant it was a significant move to make and then to back out of it so quickly definitely leaves some fans feeling a little i don't want to say irked but a little like a little upset you know just because it was such a significant send-off in season two and even just the whole thinking about oh luke's first student is grogu like there was just so much there that i think it was just nice at least in this episode we got to see a bit of that payoff just with just little things whether it was listening and using the force and piloting and like just just the little things so there's another part of training that we can discuss here it was what i was getting into with the whole city girl and then country boy dynamic they have going on so when din goes to rescue r5 which quick little side note about r5 i think this is the first time that Pelly mentions that he served in the rebellion which is super <laughs> hilarious so. to me. yeah like the irony of that maybe she was joking i don't know but like r2 obviously was the bigger character anyways point is he goes yes. to rescue r5 and he gets his guns knocked out of his hands and immediately he's screwed because he's not really a melee type he's more of a brawler and that's good and all but he pulls out the dark saber and he still can't wield it yeah. whereas later in the episode we have Bo and she wields it with ease because i mean she used to own the weapon and we see with her the differences in training whereas din is very good at like situational awareness and like in the moment and being very good at reactions she's more of like a trained warrior she immediately recognizes that these guys i forgot the species name the i this is apparently new stuff where they was it the alamites that's what, it, yeah. what are we talking about the trolls yes the yeah trolls. that i had to look that up before this episode because i do think this is a new piece of lore yes i think they're called the alamites yeah that was very interesting because to me it looked like they were making their clubs out of the glass shards from when the planet had been glass it was like the same emerald 
green, which is very cool idea. It makes Mandalore look a little bit more interesting than we've seen it before. For those who haven't seen the Clone Wars, it used to just be like this flat, very like white sand desert planet, which Din mentions at the beginning of the episode that it used to be green and lush. And light spoiler alert, in one of the trailers, we see a flashback to said time period, which we haven't even reached in the show, obviously. And I like seeing this like glassed, just demolished atmosphere. I think that lends a lot of interesting uh, dynamics to the planet. And the lighting was super cool, having this green reflect off of his armor. But back to what I was saying about the Alamites, you see Bo immediately recognizes the danger, whereas Din was caught off guard. And she just demolishes these guys. She gets her blasters knocked out of her hand, and she just starts stabbing people and using her shield and, and her, um, her grapnel and all this other stuff. And it's like, that is very resourceful in her own way, whereas Din is more like brutish. And I really like that they're showing the difference between the two because they come from two different sides of Mandalore. And there's like even more sides that we don't know about. And this is the first time in Star Wars that we're really seeing this kind of push pull from a major culture. Because I mean, before we've had stuff like, okay, on Coruscant, there's like the CD underworld, and then there's the Republic and the Jedi. And it's like, okay, but those are completely different factions. Whereas yeah. with Mandalore, it's like one faction, but there's like a million little clans and stuff inside of it. So I really like that they're exploring this idea so that the show title The Mandalorian makes even more sense because I know some people complained and I still don't really agree that season two was too much of a cameo fest for like other stuff. And I'm like, no, like, all right, like I wasn't. get that complaint, but like the story was still a little bit more involved than the first season, in my opinion. Like, well, at least the middle part of the first season wasn't like too interesting to me. But yeah, I think getting back into like this specifically Mandalorian based stuff is what made this episode more interesting. And I mean, that creature that captures Din, some people would think he's like General Grievous-esque. And I'm, I agree. Dude looks like a bionicle. Weird. Yeah. Really weird. It just a unsettling, you know, definitely a surprising Star Wars character. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those like really gross out, like, what's a good example? Like just like 80s gross out, like horror movies, not like slashers, but like, like, um, oh, you ever watch um Fire in the Sky? No, I haven't, but okay. I think I understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Fire in the Sky, for those who don't know, is about alien abduction. And the movie is famous for this ending scene where they show the main character who's been abducted getting operated on. And it's disgusting, not just because of that, but because everything is kind of made out of flesh and stuff, kind of like the cage that Din is being held in. And then he gets blood extracted from him. I think that's what this guy was taking and just the eyeball and everything. And I thought it was a really cool design. Yeah. And Din was pretty messed up afterwards as well. So it was all around just kind of a wild scene to watch. And I, I, I agree with the whole Mandalorian thing. I do think they are trying to chart a different path this season. But I, I the one thing is the one thing when people say that season two was a cameo fest, my, my argument back to them every single time is that my parents who are not huge Star Wars fans watched season two of The Mandalorian and didn't struggle with it at all. So I think people sometimes underestimate how general audiences take things and like, sure, you might be upset because there is a character within the universe appearing. But at the end of the day, this is Star Wars. Like, it's nice to have some continuity here and there. Like, it's nice to see the Jawas. It's nice to see Pelimoto. It's nice to have just things connect more because if, there's no point of doing the Mandalorian and not having it connect to anything. You know what I mean? Like, it just wouldn't make 
makes sense in my opinion if you just everyone's always like oh let's have this standalone the mandalorian new planets new aliens new creatures and that's like are do you want to watch the mandalorian or do you just want an original idea you know what's funny about that i was about to say that the mandalorian is the only major star wars property that seems to be using elements of the past and then expanding on them like i mentioned yes. earlier with the bunta eve that was something like completely unnecessary and yet it's in here and it expands the lore because if you watch something like the bad batch right now they're like little bits and pieces of like oh we're going to this like planet recently they went to kashik which is the wookie homeworld and they added like oh there's like tribes and stuff but i think the difference is that this show makes a tremendous effort to constantly reference and expand upon things that specifically happen in the movies so that people who don't watch any of the expanded material who only watch those movies get something out of it my hot take for you is that i think within the next two years we will see a mandalorian episode or a mandalorian special presentation that happens on life day i can totally see it i mean like a canon yeah. episode though like it's not like a not like the holiday, holiday special, special but it's yeah, like it's like and you know i know the lego star wars did they did a lego star wars holiday special but i mean a true mandalorian life day episode i think that is a lock within the next two years i would say i mean they literally have gold sitting right there with grogu i totally see it oh grogu in that chewbacca outfit with the blue orb stop <laughs> imagine perfect. how much merch you would sell that's the pitch just that that's the business pitch in my opinion just imagine the life day mando merch i feel like that's something we are going to get to eventually it's like you said i think what they're doing now is they're building momentum and that's that's where i kind of want to get into the ending of this episode because yes. that was for me that was the biggest thing i um i literally yelled no at the screen when it faded to black me too to black rather i was like <laughs> are you serious because i'm um, we've been talking about how they're building up this mandalorian lore and we have the alamites which are a new race of aliens it's super cool to have you know all these aliens in mando compared to andor which was very much focused on th uh the empire as like a a machine and then it also focused on the humanity of it human and, relationships yeah like very very emotional show very political and i've been re-watching and it's just like wow i kind of forgot how good it was but incredible writing yes this series we're getting more into like the pulpy side of star wars and i yes. mean that like literally a lot of people were saying that uh whenever this show has been criticized oh it's supposed to be like a western tv show i'm like clearly you haven't watched any of those but to me this is more like a fantasy video game as a tv show i think that's the more accurate description especially especially because of this finale so yeah the finale of the episode because you have the scene where he's being reborn and immediately <laughs> falls in and Bo just dives after him and we get the most epic looking creature in my opinion I have ever seen in Star Wars like I immediately I was like what like this thing is gigantic and it looks just like the sigil so for those who don't know the mythosaur is has always been kind of an actual myth and in the old legends canon it literally just looks like a giant dragon with the two uh, horns sticking out of the side for the sigil the, you know the Mandalorian symbol whereas this one it does not look like that at all it looks like a giant mega beast that happens to have the face like that and i saw some people and i mean some people like very specifically this isn't like the whole fandom or anything 
time but like one or two people complaining about how the because the, they didn't see this episode yet and they're like oh the mythosaur looks kind of lame actually i was expecting it to be bigger and i'm like oh just you wait until you watch the newest episode like this yeah. thing is gigantic so i think what they're gonna do is they're gonna have either Bo or din most likely din take over the mythosaur and unite all of mandalore as the title mandalore and because that's like a title they give to like their greatest warrior and have Bo rule the actual planet as queen so here's where we get into the shipping some people have already called uh Bo grogu's new mommy because holy crap was katie sackoff rocking that armor and like yeah bo katan is mommy and she's just like amazing with that dark saber like like she literally dispatches this spider guy in like no time at all and her combo with the shield i'm like yeah this is a skilled warrior and they're showing that Bo isn't just like a dark edgy character which is kind of what she was like in clone wars because she even after using the dark saber gives it back to din she holds no grudge against him she's just mad about what it did to other people's relationship to her the fact that she lost all of her warriors because oh of some trivial like cultural thing which is why she's so against it and why she's so like just i'm trying to think of the right word but like uh cynical i guess about it all she is very cynical like uh like this sucks but then she sees the mythosaur and all of that changes so i think the arc for this season besides whatever we're gonna see of moff gideon because that's another thing we never saw in the trailers i think the main arc is going to be mandalore coming back like in terms of populating the planet but also as one big like clan where they start to understand each other's differences and i think Bo will have her side of like the city mandalorians and like the night owls and death watch and whatever and then we have din with the watch which is like very old school and he can unite them both with mandalore because as i've been saying this is a very medieval show um he's like king arthur he's been collecting all the mandalorian like artifacts basically and ever since season one i mean he literally didn't get a jetpack till late into season one and now in season two he gets the dark saber and in season three it's the mythosaur bust baby like that's what i'm thinking mm, is gonna yeah. happen and when that does eventually happen i think that's gonna be more epic than boba fett riding the rancor which could have been a lot cooler it was cool but not nearly as cool as a giant freaking dragon thing it looks so cool definitely and also i think we have to remember from this trailer footage there is a foot there is a scene of a bunch of mandalorians jumping like out of a ship into a city so i do think we're gonna we're about to see some mandalorians unite in a fight whether it's on navarro or tatooine or elsewhere i do think we are going to see some mandalorians unite in a fight here soon but i do like your theory i think the mythosaur that that works i really think that will work and i i agree with you in this episode ended i was like oh i kind of want it more and i think that's why i was just kind of like eh, it just came and went the episode came and went just because how it ended but it'll be very exciting to see what happens next week on this show and count me in i think din din needs to get over whatever differences he has and, and din and Bo all the way that's 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 our couple right now until until further notice i mean i din can work with a lot of different a lot of different options but right now it's din and Bo. they're the leaders in the clubhouse when it comes to a ship so hey we'll have to see what happens can i just say that makes me really happy as a clone wars fan not only that Bo's like a main character i really hope that katie sackoff is a series regular for this season because she, she is a great addition exactly yep, okay yep. see i was making sure because her as a coach so far she is yeah is that makes me happy i'm like we got another mandalorian character who's important and she can have a possible relationship with din that way 
they don't have to invent some sort of love interest or anything. And it doesn't even have to be romantic yes. at all. I think it works. It, it's such a cool dynamic. It's expanding on her character. In fact, this episode for a lot of people was uh, Katie Sackhoff's best performance. And there as as Bo-Katan. And there was even a scene where it almost looked like she was trying to contain her smile because she loves science fiction because of her dad. And I was like, I feel like she's loving this right now. And I'm yeah really hoping she sticks around. She recently said at a convention that someone asked her, are you going to be in the next two seasons? She's like, oh, and she jokingly said like, well, it depends on whether I'm alive for those next two seasons. Ooh, I'm like, ah, yeah. okay, sure. And she also was very coy about people asking her about Grand Admiral Thrawn. So mm. there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And I'm so glad she's a series regular. And I didn't get to say this last week. I'm also really happy that the stuntmen are being uh, credited properly for being the real like Din Djarin stand-ins for whenever Pedro Pascal wasn't there for filming The Last of Us. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't notice that. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And two episodes this week from two different shows of Pedro Pascal being saved by his kids. So there you go. He's on a roll right now. It'll be interesting to see what he does next and if it involves another uh, dynamic with a kid or not. Yeah, and we'll have to wait and see. But for now, I'm so excited for next week. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen to This is the Waycast. Let us know what else you want us to talk about. Tweet us your ideas at Boardwalk Time. Make sure you're subscribed and following the podcast feed so you don't miss any episodes and we will have a lot more to talk about. I will definitely be geeking out about the music. I didn't even get to talk about the fact that Bo-Katan's theme played again in this episode just like all the stuff in season two. And for more Star Wars content, please head over to BoardwalkTimes.net and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Boardwalk Times. We hope to see you soon. This is the way. Boardwalk Times is produced and edited by Sarah Edwards and Giovanni Delgadillo, featuring music by Kevin McLeod.